0: I still think uh, All I Want for Christmas might be the most brilliantly written song ever. Oh, except for this intro music that's coming in.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. Hey, everyone, and Merry Christmas Eve Eve
0: to you all. I'm Chad. Hey, and also happy first day of Hanukkah. I'm Clint, and this is Schoolja. It's the podcast made by teachers for teachers. Brought to you by two jolly old middle-aged teachers, dads, and hipster doofuses who talk across the country about the American education system.
1: We hope you find our chatter as warm and fuzzy as the virtual Yule Log on your TV.
0: Or at least as entertaining as the bad Christmas movies you still watch every year. (laughs) That's
1: right. So Clint, how was the holiday season? Uh, How's it been for you?
0: It's been busy, but exciting. As we record this, it's my first day of winter break. It's pretty great. How about you?
1: It's been, you know, been busy like it always is, having three kids and always a lot of fun. I was just talking to a teacher here in the hall who has older kids that are in college, and and she said she really misses, you know, having kids our age where you get to kind of do all the really fun Christmassy things with with young kids. So, yeah, it's been busy, but uh, really looking forward to a couple weeks off for sure.
0: Yeah, along those lines, it's been pretty crazy and a little sentimental as we realize that this is Ty's last Christmas at home with us. So Holy cow. Yeah, so we are staying home and doing all the things we can to keep it as traditional as possible. Good for you. Well, since it is the holiday season, we decided to start the episode off by having a little discussion about the classic workplace tradition, Secret Santa.
1: We'll look at why we love them like a kid on Christmas morning. And why sometimes we can't stand them like we're Ebenezer Scrooge. (laughs) And so, unless you've been living under a rock, your whole life, you probably know how Secret Santa works. But Clint, just in case, why don't you give us a quick recap of your general experience of how one might participate in Secret Santa.
0: So if you've been living under a rock and don't know what Secret Santa means, and yet somehow discovered our podcast, <laughs> here's the basic idea. You get a bunch of people that are all interested in giving each other presents. Every single person has a, a different person in that group, and then for a week, you give them presents. And that's basically it. And uh, I had to set it up this year for my school, and And we had a $10 limit for the whole week. Wow. And so it was a lot of like go to the Dollar Tree and get that kind of stuff. It's not meant to be a break the bank kind of situation.
1: Let's start with that. Let's be the uh, exciting, uh, we love Secret Santa people. Let's talk about why you should participate in your school or workplace, uh, Secret Santa. The reason I set it up this year is we're having
0: kind of a miserable year (laughs) uh, at my school, like just a lot of change and it's been a little frustrating at times. And doing Secret Santa just brings people a lot of joy. It's fun to pick things out for your colleagues. We had little sheets that said some of their favorite things and then it's kind of fun to go and try and find things that match them. And if you know pretty well, well, the person that you have, then you get to do be creative and do exciting stuff for them that you know they're going to enjoy. But it just gives you something to look forward to for that last week when everything is going crazy.
1: I think it also gives you a chance to get to know people a little bit. I know in years that I have participated here, I'll be assigned someone that I really don't know well, but you get that little form that says things that they're into or things that they like. And it gives you a chance to get to know them a little bit, which
0: is another added bonus. It gives you something to talk about when it's all over. You've got this new chance to, to kind of connect with a person. That you that you didn't before, and so that
1: is fun. Let's not forget, too, it's fun to come in every morning a little bit excited about what might be waiting for you. I know a lot of times when people participate in these, they get pretty creative in how they deliver the present, whether it be sitting on their desk when they come in in the morning, or a lot of times they'll get kids to get involved in how it's delivered, so that can be kind of fun, too.
0: That is really fun. However, sometimes, you know, it can be a little bit of a drag, so let's
1: channel our inner Grinch. What makes Secret Santa kind kind of suck. So for the very reason I just discussed why it can be nice, it's also a really busy week. And I have to admit, I did not participate this year. Loser. And I kind of regret it now, but simply because there's so much else going on and I trying to get some last minute shopping done for your family and all my family. Other things. <laughs> yeah. I try to get yes! some last minute shopping done for your family that Excellent. hasn't arrived in the mail yet.
0: No, 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 no.
1: Ah, uh, darn it. But it just adds another thing to the plate uh, sometimes. And and sometimes that's a little much. Yeah,
0: that's true. It's a time constraint. And it also is like a mind constraint. You've got to now think about this other thing, even though going and shopping is is fun sometimes when you've got everything else going on just to add a little bit more to it can be can be frustrating. Another thing that can be difficult is sometimes the person that uh, is getting you gifts may not put as much effort into it as you are putting into yours. And so it can be a little bit of a letdown if you don't go into it kind of already thinking about, eh, it doesn't matter what I get. It's the thought that counts and that kind of thing.
1: One year I had somebody that was going way above and beyond the price limit. And it kind of made me a little uncomfortable.
0: Well, and I think also sometimes because of the price limit, you put pressure on yourself of, I've got to be super creative and make something yeah and when you're doing that uh that just takes up a ton of time
1: yeah and I would just say like if you are starting somewhere and the holiday season comes around and someone's going around saying we do this every year I would a get a feel for is this something everyone does and is it going to be frowned upon if I don't participate and then if not like don't feel bad saying no no one knows except for the person organizing it yeah and
0: I think one of the things if you're ever in charge of it make sure that people have an an option. Sure. Like this year, we just, I sent out an email to everybody in our area and put together a, a the little handout and put it in people's boxes and said, if you want to participate, turn it into me by the certain date. And there was no harm, no foul. If people didn't want to do it, no, nobody right. cared. It's just, it makes it more fun when it's not required. Um, it can be frustrating when you are forgotten. And so this Mm -mm. time I reminded everybody, you know, if you have an emergency, you can't come in, you're not able Uh to get anything. I just had some, like, random candies, and I keep a little stash of uh, coins in my desk so that way if I'm ever needing a soda real bad – I can sure. uh, I can get something. So that happened a couple of times where I just kind of covered for somebody. And and if you have somebody <laughs> ready to do that, it it really works out.
1: So what you're saying is you just left a person a couple coins as a gift? Yeah,
0: exactly. I didn't go <laughs> put it into the vending machine and get them their favorite soda.
1: Here's, here's three quarters. I
0: took care of them.
1: Well, I think we kind of covered Secret Santa. I and, think so. You know, that got me more in the Christmas spirit, I think, or or maybe less. I don't know.
0: Let's take a quick break and we'll think about it. We'll hear a word from our sponsor and be back shortly. Hey, school you listeners, this is Clint. As we approach the end of the semester and winter break, one thing is certain. Student behavior is going to devolve into chaos unless we as teachers have a plan in place. In the past, this meant devising gimmicky lessons filled with student-friendly and sometimes corny activities like snowflake-making, coloring pages, and non-educational games devised only to keep the little monsters under control. It's a headache. It takes away from teaching time. And above all it's messy. That glitter will never go away. But now there's a simple solution to this perennial problem. The fine folks at Big Brother Labs have devised a surveillance system that uses facial recognition technology to monitor student behavior for you, compiles a list of naughty and nice students, assigns detention to the naughty kids, and creates fun rewards and activities for those on the nice list, all in real time. They call it the Santa Solution, and it really works. All I had to do was install four cameras in my classroom, one for each corner, download a program into my desktop computer, and sign several release forms. And it was up and running. Once the students knew that the Santa Solution was watching their every move, knowing if they were asleep or awake, naughty or nice, my classroom management has been a breeze. So sign up for the Santa Solution today and use the promo code ORWELLIAN at checkout for a 10% discount. The Santa Solution, making lists and busting heads since 1984. And welcome back. Well, since it is late December, it means that most schools in the country have either just ended or are close to ending their first semester of the school year.
1: And at most secondary schools, and probably even some lower grades, this might mean students are taking semester finals.
0: And while final exams might widely vary in rigor, depth of content, and overall weight of a grade, they are often used as some sort of cumulative assessment to finalize a semester's work.
1: And as we like to do here at School yeah, we started asking the question, what's the deal with finals?
0: <laughs> Good job, Seinfeld.
1: <laughs> Are they valuable? How much value should be placed on them? And should we even have them?
0: Yeah, so let's go ahead and talk about this. What do you see, Chad, as uh, the point of finals?
1: I think the point, and I don't even know if I believe this, but I feel like the point that most people would answer is that you're wrapping up a semester, we put a halfway point in the middle of the year, or in your case, kind of a halfway point and that's typically where an official grade gets produced and I think a lot of times people feel like there needs to be one finishing exam to kind of cover everything or to kind of put a capstone on the end of the semester and I I really think that's where the gist of it comes from. And it's the kind of thing that
0: colleges traditionally use and so if students are going to go off to higher education they are going to need to be prepared to take one of those major exams to be ready for the kinds of pressure that are going to be put on them when they get to college. I, quite frankly, did not take finals at my high school uh, when I was in high school. We didn't have Yeah, I don't
1: think I did either. I don't remember
0: that. Yeah, and when I got into college my first quarter, I remember getting my first grade back on an essay and thinking, whoa, I didn't do very well on this. Well, luckily, it's early in this quarter. I'll be fine. And then it turned out that that was one of three grades. That they took, you know, and so I had to fight like crazy to keep a decent grade in there just because of one bad score. And so I think a lot of times the way that we assess kids, especially our upper level kids, can be a bit of a detriment as they are getting closer and closer to college. Because if they don't get those big high stakes exams, then they're not really prepared for what colleges are going to expect from
1: them. When we use the word finals and you said you didn't take any in high school, I assume the last few days of a semester we took some sort of assessment, whether that be end of a unit exam or, or whatever that may be. So do you see finals more as a cumulative exam that covers an entire semester or does it just have to be a test? Well, when I taught
0: in Astoria, I did it as a unit exam, whatever we had just most recently done, because it's a little different with English than it is in math or science or whatever, because each unit sort of builds on the next unit and you're always studying the same kinds of like writing skills and vocabulary skills and and whatever else. So it's not really necessary to go back and talk about whatever piece of literature you discussed at the very beginning of the year. It is important that that it needs to be a performance piece instead of regurgitation of memorized facts. But since I've moved here to Virginia, Virginia is much more uh, interested in kind of high stakes testing than Oregon was, or at least Astoria was. And so the kids had to take a citywide final where every high school freshman had to take this particular test for ninth grade. And I thought that that was not exactly what I wanted my students to be getting. So I had them take that test, but it was only worth half of the final. And then the other half of the final was a performance piece based on what I wanted them to show. And so I kind of mixed and matched.
1: Yeah. So it really wasn't a cumulative thing. You know, I think with math, we do aim for more. I, I would say this is more of a college model, even at the lower levels. And I think it makes sense that our final is covering everything that we've been doing throughout the course of the semester. Otherwise, it is just a kind of a unit thing. But at least the way we do math here is every test we take is covering stuff we've been doing all year rather than just what we've done in the last four weeks. We've gone away from kind of the unit exam model. So really when a student takes a final at the end of a semester, it is covering everything, but they're not seeing anything that they haven't seen recently. Uh, I remember as a college student taking finals and, you know, literally covering things that were brought up the first week of the semester and not having seen them for the previous nine weeks and being expected to, without practice or without using that material throughout the course of the whole semester, being expected to still know it. And that was really stressful.
0: Right. And what I think it does, those kinds of finals that are cumulative, I think that does emphasize for students the importance of taking quality notes so that they can go back and study and then keeping track of their notes. Honestly, I think probably what we ought to be teaching, especially with underclassmen, is that ability to do school just as much as the actual content. How do you take notes and where do you put them and how do you keep track of all that stuff over time? And then what do you do with those notes when you're done? There's a lot of groundwork that needs to be laid. And I think that at least for me personally, and then I think for a lot of our colleagues, we don't really do that heavy lifting of this is how you study. Instead, we just sort of assume that they'll figure it out because we at some point figured it out. I guess we Sometimes we forget that we are the nerds that liked school. We made it our profession. So I think we need to probably, as a culture of teachers, we need to kind of figure out how are we going to teach that. And some people are very good at it. I think that that is one of my weaker points.
1: I do think, though, that if we're doing a decent job with content delivery throughout the course of a semester, then a final, hopefully most of that are still things that they have been using recently. You know, English and math can be very different, but I really think that in, in one way that they're similar is that you're building these skills to come up with this final product. And most of the things my kids have done last week, they're using the things we did at the beginning of the year. We don't just totally throw that stuff out and start completely new. It's it, they're skill building things that are required to get to where we are now. And so in theory, hopefully when they're taking a final, all of that material, even if it's old stuff, they've been using. I'm really curious um, because it's been a long time. and And if I'm being honest, I I wasn't real fond of classes like history where there's less of a building block of, of content as you work through. I mean, you, you covered this part of the war or this part of the, the 1900s and then you move on to this. And unless the questions and stuff are pertaining to cause and effect and things like that, you you really might have not used that material in five, six, seven, eight weeks. And so I think in that case, definitely good note-taking and knowing how to study and stuff is really, really important.
0: Yeah, and I think that that actually bridges us well into what some of the negatives for these types of exams are. A final exam generally is something that can be graded easily, like just from a practical standpoint. So it's a lot of multiple choice, which then leads to this kind of what happened on such and such date or what does this chemical formula mean or whatever and I don't think that that's the world we live in anymore and so I would argue that I think a lot of finals the way that we do them is doing a disservice to a lot of our students they can look up what a chemical formula is they can look up what happened in 1918 but what they can't do is take that information and then use it in such a way that it is valuable to them and so I think in order to do that more of a capstone project or a written Type of a final or something where they are actually applying the knowledge that they've gained into something that is tangible and more real world useful is is a better way of going about it than just these multiple choice tests.
1: Yeah. Ideally, what I see as being like the most useful form of a final exam is, listen, here's what we've done the last 18 weeks. Here's all the content. Now here is a project. Here is a, I, I need you to create this product Uh, that is utilizing that information. And if you can do that, then you have basically shown that you're proficient in all those things because otherwise you wouldn't be able to do it. And that is so much more applicable to, you know, the real world of what we're trying to get out of learning is can you produce, can you... Can you use the information that you have you have gained over the course of whatever amount of time and actually come up with that final product? But that is so hard to create. And, and I think about like in math, like it, the reason why it's so much easier. And and you kind of said it, like our turnover has to be so fast when we give finals because we actually have a final schedule and it, it goes up to the last day of the semester. And we're expected to give some sort of assessment, and and our administrators are very good about saying, you know, it doesn't have to be cumulative. It doesn't, you know, you can decide what you want it to be, but We usually allow about a week to do our grading because we want to make sure we we do a good job with it. And because our turnover has to be so fast, our final does tend to be more multiple choice and, and a little bit more short answer type of stuff. And it's really hard to design a question that would you know, cover an entire semester, that would really give you a clear picture in one project or one kind of capstone thing of, of where a kid is. And that that's why sometimes just going to a standard old test is sometimes the easier route.
0: Right. And sadly, as much innovation as we want to put into our assessments and kind of move with the way that students learn, that doesn't necessarily match up with what's happening in higher education. Like we still have to prepare them for those multiple choice memorization tests because that's what colleges use. At least that's what happened when I was in college. Now that was a long, long time ago because I am an ancient human. But that was a staple of most, especially freshman level courses that our kids are going to be heading out into. And so it's one of those things where, I don't know, the debate is challenging. Being able to balance both a cumulative test and a skill based assessment capstone project. How do you make those things work together? so that kids are ready both for the real world and the academic world? It's it's a conundrum.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. I know we've brought this up before on the show, but the balance of trying to be as good of teachers as we can be in the way that we know research says uh, we should teach, but then also understanding that, at least in our experiences, most college professors do not teach in that way. And if we are not giving the kids the opportunity to to learn from lecture and to learn from note-taking and doing all those things, While that's probably best practice to not do those things all the time, it is uh, not preparing students uh, necessarily to be successful in college. And so that's definitely a a tough balancing act. Well, it sounds like we have no answers, which is kind of our brand. Yeah, that's pretty much standard procedure here. I feel like we've covered about everything we can about finals. Do you have any final points to add to the discussion? Uh (laughs) Let us know by posting on our Facebook page or Twitter at SchoolDiaPod.
0: And now we'll just have another word
1: from our sponsor. Hey everyone, Chad again, co host of SchoolDia. You know, being a teacher on a tight budget and still wanting to dress nice for work is almost an impossible task. I mean, clothes are spendy, and I certainly don't have time to go shopping for school clothes. Plus, I know within a week my brand new dress shirt is going to have a pin mark or a small coffee stain anyway. That's why I'm so excited to have found Mr. Jones Closet, the online clothing club for the busy teacher. It's really cool. For a small monthly fee, my personal stylist sends me an old copy paper box with three pre-owned, lightly worn outfits. I try them on, and if I don't like them, I send them back at no extra cost. I pay for only what I keep. The best part is, all the clothes have been donated by other teachers, so those pen marks and food stains are already there, which I now no longer have to feel bad about ruining my perfectly brand new shirt. Go to Mr. Jones Closet online and mention us to receive $3 off your first month of membership. Check them out. You'll be glad you did. Mr. Jones Closet, because it's a filthy, filthy, filthy job. And welcome back. It's now time for our favorite segment of the show. Wow.
0: Wait, what? It's our opportunity to talk about whatever we can't get out of our heads. And the thing that I can't get out of my head this week uh, is journalism. Uh And as you know, Chad, and as some of our listeners probably know, I used to be the journalism instructor and newspaper advisor at Astoria High School. And I didn't know anything about journalism when I started it. Clearly. No, yeah, it was very clear. (laughs) Um, I I took it over because the... The teacher that was doing it kind of left and they just said, here, Clint, you know how to write. Do this. And I had to kind of figure it out on the fly. And one of the things that I figured out very, very early is that proofreading is extremely important and no matter how many times you check something, you're not gonna catch everything. You know what I mean? I'm nervous about this. Yeah, no. Have you ever sent an email, and then as soon as you send it, you look at it and you're like, oh no, I used the wrong there, or oops, I forgot to put a period in, or- Even after you've read it six times. Right, and we would have multiple editors look at every single article multiple times, and then I was the last one to read it, and little mistakes still slipped through, and it was infuriating because immediately, Immediately, as soon as the paper went out, people would come to you with their paper and say, look at what you did. You misspelled someone's name or oops, you accidentally put a comma where a comma shouldn't be. That should be a semicolon or whatever. And that was super annoying. However, sometimes, sometimes those typos just improve everything. (laughs) <laughs> no. They make the story somehow much, much better. Um, I am no longer the newspaper editor, mm-hmm. but I do understand those those pressures. And I wanted to put that out there so that this doesn't come across as like, a, oh, look at these dummies. It's more like, oh, my gosh, how embarrassing that this happened. And also, how awesome is it that this happened? <laughs> Okay, So there was a story in our school paper that just came out a week ago. And the story was all about different fashion trends. And there's a student at our school who uh, likes to dress very uh, avant-garde. He likes to be a little different than everybody else. And he was talking about how he appreciates a lot of different types of materials and different kinds of things in in, in his wardrobe. He was quoted as saying that he really liked flowing silky shit. And it just came out of nowhere, and we were just like, what? (laughs) What does that mean? And then we realized that the R got left out, and it was supposed to be... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> flowing silk shirts and it cracked me up and I, my freshman actually pointed it out to me and he oh had a good giggle for a long time about it and uh i just felt that poor writer's pain there's nothing you can do it's been published it is out there in the it's world. out there yeah. what makes but,
1: it so funny too is if yeah. it just would have been the word shirts misspelled as sh- somewhere yeah. in a paper but flowing silky. silk silk Yeah. And, and to be honest, I want flowing (laughs) silks because they'd wipe themselves.
0: Like it would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. That just seems like the ideal situation. (laughs) So it just made the story so much better. Uh, with that one little typo, I just absolutely loved it.
1: Maybe for a moment in that interview, he just stepped away from talking about fashion (laughs) and he just wanted to just briefly discuss his preference from bowel movements and then jump back into the fashion
0: it very well uh could be uh but i just have not been able to stop thinking about it anytime i'm having a a bad day or a bad moment i can think about that great quote and just giggle a little bit to myself because let's be honest poop is always funny it is unless you are actively having to handle it it is always funny (laughs) but that's my wait what for this week and that brings us to the end of our show do you have any questions Wanna share how you or your school tackle semester finals? You wanna tell us about your flowing silk (laughs) <laughs> we have an email address for that contact us at schooljapodcast at
1: gmail.com you can also follow me on twitter at Seahill Astoria. you can also find me on instagram at chatterboxes and at my web store chatterboxes.com and don't forget about our website schooljapod.com
0: and all our sponsors are fake what yeah they are as always a big shout out to my wife Nikki for our wonderful theme song
1: if you like what you heard please subscribe
0: and don't forget to give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts it helps other people find us or if that's too hard for you, just tell a friend to listen. Or, you know, it's Christmas time. I guess we could just ask Santa for more listeners. Eh? eh? Uh, De-
1: December 23rd, pal. I think it's a little late for that. I already saw him just a few days ago. Oh, well, maybe next Christmas. Sounds good. Hey, Merry Christmas to you, Clint, and to all our great listeners out
0: there. I try to say something nice to Chad <laughs> and wish everyone a Happy New Year. Oh, I mean, Chad, you're great. And I love you.
1: Have a happy new year, everybody. And enjoy your we'll Hanukkah. See, we'll see you in 2020. <laughs> yeah, you're a flowing silk